Hey everyone, welcome to episode 127 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me as always, Collins Wallen. Hey Collins. What's up Chris? How's it going? Pretty good. How was your SCG Columbus? Uh, it was a lot of fun. Yes. <laughs> It was a lot of fun. So I, you know, so I heard implies that like I was here and I heard that you had a good time. Yeah. I was at Columbus and yeah, I yeah. heard that you had a good time. So <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah. You know, it was fun to see everybody again. You know, it was the first tournament like back from since like before the players championship, mm-hmm. first tournament of the new season. Mm-hmm. That's always exciting. Well, um, kind of. Some of us have been getting points for the new season. Oh yeah. Yeah. Chris has gotten ahead on the, the IQ point grind. Actually, Lee is ahead of me. Ooh. Um, we had the same number of points this weekend and I think he has like three or so IQ points on me <gasps> okay. from the past couple of weeks. All right. So fair enough. But I believe there's a decent chance that I have a buy still going in because of this IQ grind leading up to Columbus. Love it. <laughs> Love it. And a, a top 16 classic performance. Really, yeah. you know, the the goal for the weekend is to scrub out, hit that classic, and miss, your, miss your winning in for top eight. Really. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. No, but I had a lot of fun. So I teamed with Austin Collins and Aiden Breyer. Mm-hmm. The way the the for, the our decks kind of shook up is that I played Urza, Aiden played Urza, and Austin played his Taxus build. Mm-hmm. But you know, in the tournament, I definitely f- suffered from my lack of preparation, kind of leading up to the event because you know the holidays. I chose not to play much Magic, mm-hmm. and then I pretty much played zero Urza. I played some of the Taxus deck to see if I felt like it was okay for Austin to play it. And it was. It was, it was great. But yeah, I, I definitely feel like I suffered from that. Yeah. Um, and not that you're like some scrub with Urza. You top-aided and open with Urza. I mean, the finals. So, yeah. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> but this was a different, you know, I wasn't playing the combo anymore. Mm-hmm. This was like purely mid-range Urza. I just felt inexperienced with the lines. Yeah. And at the tournament, I found myself spending time figuring out what the line is instead of knowing what the line is, mm-hmm. which was a big difference for me. Especially coming out of the Players' Championship where I'm playing decks that I played massive amounts of each one. So mm-hmm. I knew all the lines and can just execute there. But this time I was like figuring things out, playing slowly as a result. I played really slowly this past weekend. Mm-hmm. And you just can't afford to do that with Urza Mirrors. Like everybody went, had draws, it felt like, in this tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and the, the rounds went well over time. Yeah. Yeah. Modern is the slowest it's ever been. Yeah, and not even due to, like, number of turns that are happening in these games, but just due to, like, all of the game actions yeah. you have to take. it's a Urza. lot. Yeah. yeah. With Urza, you're just doing, like, a million things on each of your turns. And you got to sequence it all. And you got to like, sequence it all correctly. In the correct order. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, the number of artifacts that you have, like, before and after each action, like, matters an enormous amount, like... Can I make mana with my Mox Opal now? Okay, plus my Oko, make mana with my Mox... Like, it's just like, there's a lot of steps that have to be done. And you have to know every one of these game actions that you're going to take on your turn right? before you take the first one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, a lot of that, but I'm sure we'll get into it. Yeah. Before we get into it, want to thank our patrons. We really, really appreciate your support. We just finished boxing up a bunch of playmats that we are sending out. Indeed. So we assembly lined that. Just have to print out the shipping labels and and get them out there. They're on the way. Thank you to Rick R. and Joseph S. Uh, Joe Sprouse. Really, really, really appreciate your pledge increases. That's super cool of you. You don't have to do that. <laughs> um, although I believe that they both increase themselves to the playmat tier. So you if know, you want to playmat, you a do bad, have to do that. Not so. a bad plan. <laughs> yeah. 
And if you would like to become a patron, uh, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Mm-hmm. Um, your support would be super cool. Yeah. We want to kick things off with a keeper mole? Um, yeah, let's do it. Cool. So this is from... I also played Urza this weekend. I played a teamer build of Urza with Galvanic Blast's main deck. I didn't go quite as far afield as the teamer deck that we will talk about in a little bit, played by Pete Ingram and Corey Baumeister. That one was a little bit of a scorcher. This one was pretty much just in the flex slots yeah. where you have room for either like a small work package or for interaction. I just played a lot of Galvanic Blasts. Yeah. And they were pretty good for me all weekend. I will. Yeah, it sounds like they were. Uh, you were surprisingly not the only person running them this weekend. No, actually, it was a pretty significant portion of the Urza decks. It was. I was not expecting that, but yeah. um, there you have it. Oh, we'll talk about that in a little bit when we get right into modern. Um, but for now, this Keeper Mole. Yeah. This is from the classic. Uh, I was on the play game three versus humans. Okay. So this hand, pretty awkward one. Two lands, a Scalding Tarn, and a Mystic Sanctuary. Yeah. And then we have. Really just like a killer set of spells. We have a Gilded Goose, an Oko, Arkham's Astrolabe, Emery, and Engineered Explosives. That is an awkward one. That's yeah. a really awkward one. So it's really weird because, specifically because Scalding Tarn cannot fetch a land that can cast both Goose and Astrolabe. Right. So that really puts a, a giant like wrench into the plan that this hand wants to have, which is just like, goose into Oko into just, like, do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really just your mana standing in the way because this hand is borderline perfect for the humans matchup on the play. Like, right. I don't even necessarily need a Galvanic Blast against humans if I'm on the play with this sort of hand for it to be, like, perfect. Right. However, the sequencing with the lands is very, very awkward. So, yeah. I don't know. What is your what is your gut, thought, gut well, reaction so, on this? Generally, when I look at Keeper Malls, mm-hmm. I'm mapping out my first turn. Mm-hmm. Like, if, I, if it's close, I'm, like, mapping out what am I going to do on my first turn. And it's especially to, important to do with these Goose Emery Astrolabe decks because you have a million options of what you can do on the first turn. Yeah. And uh, I'm finding myself looking over this hand, running into a lot of, like, awkward situations, and I'm actually not entirely sure if I kept what my turn one sequence would be. And we, that was actually my real question here, yeah. because I I believe that you have to keep this hand. I, I also believe you have to keep this hand. It yeah. just has everything that you need. Mm-hmm. So, But the sequencing of how to do everything is more difficult. And I, I'm, you know... So <clears throat> my the two obvious options to start off with are, do we want to cast Goose on turn one? Mm-hmm. Or can we instead fetch for a basic island cast your astrolabe on turn one turn two is then going to be filter with the astrolabe into goose and then potentially play a tapped land mm-hmm. so that feels bad yep the other option that we have is we can turn one the goose and then turn to the emery and give up on the astrolabe mm-hmm. because we could go goose and then we'd have to would we have to sacrifice our food We'd have to either sacrifice our food or play the engineered explosives out on zero in order to get our Emery down. Mm-hmm. And I and we're playing against humans, so I do not want to play our engineered explosives out on zero. Right. No. So it's the best card in the deck. So yeah, we got to use it. Right. So I think, given that awkwardness, I would. Man, it's it's pretty difficult. I think I'm I think I'm fetching out the the basic. Okay. I'm, I'm going to fetch out the basic. I'm going to play the Astrolabe. Mm-hmm. That gives us 
more shots at finding another land. Yeah. Because if we can draw an untapped land on turn two, then we can go Goose Emery on turn two. And then you're set up. Mm -hmm. Because you have your Goose and your Emery out, and you have Engineered Explosives in hand, and you're, you know, hopefully you can set up Engineered Explosives Emery and lock out your Human's opponent. Uh, If you end up bricking, then you can still play out your Goose on turn two, and that's your only turn two play, so it's not great. But you are on the play, so you're less likely to get run over. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that you can recover from all of that by your engineered explosives later in the game and then hopefully you can find a spot to resolve your emery yeah i went with the goose on turn one Uh um because i thought that that gave me i mean ultimately that was because i wanted to give myself the shot at turn two oko okay which oko is not at its best against humans right however the turn two oko is extremely powerful because it gives you a steal especially on the play yeah yeah right right on the play the turn two oko really does something and one thing that i really like here about the turn two oko is you get down your goose play the oko mm-hmm. and then you can leave goose on tap for the mantis rider turn Sure. And then, so it's it becomes very difficult for them to get Oko down to a loyalty that you can't steal their good creature at. Yeah. And Mantis Rider is one of their best cards against you, and you neuter it by getting down Oko and keeping it at enough loyalty to take the Mantis Rider. Yeah. I did not draw the land. Mm-hmm. I was okay with that. Like, obviously, I was all right with that happening, given yeah. the, the play that I made. So what did you do on turn two? It was an interesting question. What did you draw? Do you remember? So I... I'm trying to remember. I drew a second goose. So what I did was I went ahead and I played the explosives on one and then used my food to play the Emery. Okay. And then that just set me up to end up like I ended up playing another goose, playing out the Oko, and the game just developed in such a way where I was able to do like that sequence that I talked about mm-hmm. um, when my opponent did Mantis Rider me. I blocked with one of my geese, stole the Mantis Rider. Yeah. And then, you know, it actually was a very nice turn, <laughs> given my very limited mana resources, okay. where I like tapped a goose for mana, sacrificing my last food, traded my goose to my opponent, cracked mm-hmm. my explosives on one, killing a one drop, an astrolabe, and, and the goose that I... Or not an astrolabe, killing a one drop, uh, their uh, ether vial, okay. and the goose that I gave them. Sure. And killing their ether vial is really important in the matchup, because then you have a much better idea of what can come out of them on any given turn. Yeah, so. ether vial is so scary against yeah. these decks, so... Okay. So it, so it ended up kind of working out all right. And yeah, I think playing the E on one is certainly acceptable. And often you're going to want to do it sometimes anyways in the matchup. Um, and it was because my opponent did lead on, on Aether Vile. Okay. Like if they had led, I mean, if they had led on Hierarch or Champion, there's a really good chance I still want to cast the sure. the Engineered Explosives on one. Yeah. Um, but given the Vile coming down... Like, there's a really good chance that he has another one in his hand that he's not going to have to pay mana for, and I want to, like, dissuade him from exploding onto the board, so. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, wow, really interesting yeah. sequencing there. Yeah. And I think that that just kind of goes to show how difficult this it's so deck is to pilot appropriately. And I don't know which of those lines, yeah, like, which of our one-mana plays is correct here. Right. I'm not 100% sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it did. I did get, like, kind of punished in that my Astrolabe was in my hand four turns later. Right. I just could not cast it. Yeah. Um, when I finally drew a fetch land, Lee was standing behind me. I bobbled my opponent. I knew that, so I knew they had a Mantis Rider coming. <laughs> I had a Galvanic Blast in my hand. Yeah. They had a Thalia in play, though, so I didn't have enough mana to <laughs> fetch a basic, play oh, no. the Astrolabe, and then have the Blast up. Yeah. So I had to pass turn, fetch, 
a, a scalding because t- I drew the wrong basics uh-huh. or I drew the wrong uh, uh, fetch, fetch lands. lands. Yeah. So that it was a scalding tarn on my opening hand, so I couldn't get do draw a, a forest, and then I drew a misty when I needed to galvanic blast, so I had to get <laughs> steam vents to galvanic blast. Yeah. I think, and this is a conclusion that I know Ely Shaheen and Ross all came to, mm-hmm. is that they just cut Mystic Sanctuary from their teamer deck. Yeah. Because they wanted to play all the basics. Mm-hmm. And another benefit of that is that they actually got to play Waterlogged Grove as well. Yeah. So their mana was just much cleaner. And that kind of makes sense if you, especially if you're going to go the extra step of playing the forest and the mountain. Right. Like all of a sudden your Mystic Sanctuaries are pretty difficult. Yeah, and the mountain was a last-minute swap because I wanted to be able to Galvanic Blast and only pay one life against Prowess. Yeah. Um, And the forest I have to run because I had three Blood Moons in my sideboard. Fair. So (laughs) Yeah, you just gotta do it. Just gotta do it. As far as that deck goes, though, you know, we can talk about our weekends a little bit here. Yeah. Um, uh, My list felt pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really, really interested in trying... The other teamer lists, like the Experimental Frenzy list, but in general, like Galvanic Blast just like overperformed all weekend long. It was the interactive spell that caught my opponents by surprise a lot and killed a lot of Karns with it, killed a lot of one drop, killed a lot of meddling mages I played against humans a lot. Um, It did cost me some points. I lost uh, two matches to Death Shadow and probably if I had more flexible like removal spells that targeted their creatures better um i you know would have been a little better equipped for that matchup um lost a match to jund which felt pretty bad but i did run pretty cold in that match so i'm not sure how much the the card choices really entered into it Mm -hmm. um but certainly like having galvanic blast in my deck where i like kind of boarded i boarded two out because i was like this kills bob but it doesn't kill goif and then (laughs) i lost game two to just turn two bob and i just couldn't find an answer to it and it just like ran away with the game yeah so uh there's definitely a cost to the interactive spell that you choose regardless of which one you choose none of them are going to be perfect right yeah so but this one was good and given the metagame that we saw this weekend i was very glad to have a bunch of blood moons in my sideboard (laughs) yes yeah i kept on hearing about like that was kind of like part of like the chatter that I heard during the tournament was that like wow, I played against Blood Moon and it was really good. I was Urza deck and I was like, all right, okay, yeah. It's, you know, we we kind of you know you definitely nailed that one in terms of your your theory for this tournament. So I I would not have predicted going in like the day two of this tournament is going to be twenty five percent primeval type decks. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That's not <laughs> what I. That's not why I put the Blood Moons in my sideboard. I sure. wasn't like definitely going to be it, a ton. I mean, of that. It, it was a consideration, I'm sure, mm-hmm. for these um, like the blue green field decks. Yeah, like you know. So you you were definitely thinking about it. Yeah, I mean so. that that was the deck. Like that's a deck that Urza can struggle against, and having a haymaker is what modern's all about. Yeah, definitely. So. <sighs> How do we organize this discussion? Do we want to talk about like... <laughs> I, wanna, I I think I can talk a little bit about my... Because I want to talk about my round one mm-hmm. and the mistakes that we made in it in terms of our okay. draw. Yeah. And that might lead into some interesting discussion just about team tournaments. Okay. So round one, my team is playing against... I think Aiden was playing against a Tron player or something. I was playing against Shadow. Um, I lost to Shadow. Uh, Austin won. And... Aiden's match went long and you know his opponent was kind of playing a little slow and Aiden's deck takes forever so I'm not like super surprised that they went to turns Mm -hmm. and but they didn't end up going to turns and 
something about these team tournaments that I don't think that everybody has like understands that fully because it's not apparent is that draws are the same as a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and that hasn't always been true for these tournaments. But the structure of the team tournament has recently changed from 15 rounds, 9 on day 1, uh, top 24 teams or tied with, mm-hmm. qualify for day 2, and then cut to top 8. Now it's a little different. There's 14 rounds, 9 on day 1 still, 7-2 mm-hmm. or, uh, or better, and tied for 20th instead of 24th. Right now qualify for day two so this time it was a Um, clean cut at seven two right and and it it used to be that some six two ones could sneak in occasionally that will no longer happen and if any six two ones snuck in yeah six two ones snuck in because that would be the record that make that gives you day two right so but that is just not going to be the cutoff anymore right almost ever yeah so on day one draws were the same as a loss Mm mm-hmm uh, I kind of kept on saying that as I saw this game heading towards turns. Yeah. Because the whole, you know, and we've talked about this before, the whole, like, do you concede, do you not concede discussion. It's the worst part of is tournament like, magic. It is. It's really the worst part of tournament magic. Mm-hmm. And my opinions on this have definitely fluctuated over the course of the event. But I think that we're in this new, we're, we're in this new situation now where these team events a draw is has become the same as a loss. So I do believe that somebody should concede mm-hmm. in these matches. So we were ahead in in the game as we hit turn five. Mm-hmm. So we asked for the concession. And it became very clear that our opponents were just never going to do that. Yeah. So we ended up taking the draw. Mm-hmm. I think that was a huge mistake. Yeah. I think that we should have just conceded. Hmm. And that kind of sucks because we were ahead. But it was clear that our team kind of understood that concept of, like, being in the draw bracket is the worst for these tournaments. You're playing against slower players, so you're going to play more Urza Mirrors, mm-hmm. and it's the same as a loss. So, And you're also playing against other people that, in their situation, nobody ended up conceding. Right, exactly. Right, right. So all of those factors kind of come together to this, like, weird situation that's very unintuitive, hmm. where I think that was our... First and biggest mistake of the tournament, which is that once it become a, it became very apparent that our opponents just had no interest in ever conceding. Mm-hmm. So e- even for your own tournament equity, yeah, you're saying right. it was better to so just... So we should have conceded. Um, and it was kind of awkward the way it played out because um, we were like in our turn five and our opponents like took this up and re- recorded a draw on it. And I was mm-hmm. like, whoa. whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, we're not finished. We're, we're not there yet. <laughs> you know, I want to like talk about it. And I think that that kind of like rushing, like maybe forget that, oh, you know, we just have to concede here. It's just really terrible for both of the team's tournament equity Yeah, for there not to be a concession in this spot. Yeah. And I mean, that also kind of helps everyone going forward because it does help to like educate the other team. Like yeah. we're not kidding. Like we're not saying this because like we yeah, want exactly, the win. Yeah, exactly. We're actually, we're going to put our money where our mouths are yeah. and say like it right. is terrible to end up with a draw here and it's so bad that we are willing to give you the win right right. like we believe this yeah so i think that was like the clear correct line for us to take there Mm -hmm. but i just couldn't pull it together in the moment to do that yeah um yeah i mean like emotions exist yeah right and you know and and yeah and and like despite myself knowing like going into the whole thing that there had to be a concession there Mm -hmm. you know and the whole thing with a match slip also threw me off and that was kind of a bummer Mm-hmm. And also, you know, an interesting element of these tournaments to talk about. But yeah, we so we should have scooped. That would have 
you know, given us a loss. But hey, it's the same as a draw for making day two. Mm-hmm. And only 20 teams-ish make day two. So if you're making day two, that's a great spot to be in. Yeah. Um, so it's not like we're giving up a huge amount of equity for our, like, top four shot. Yep. Day twoing is not quite as broken anymore. It is not quite as broken anymore. Yeah. It used to be when there was top eight, if you made day two, you were like a favorite. Yeah. <laughs> and you can put together a winning record on day yeah. two, you're probably in the top eight. Right. Not right. anymore, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. And I, I kind of like that. Yeah. Because it, it feels the same as a individual event in that regard yeah. where like, all right, we got to put in work now that we've made day two to mm-hmm. make the top eight. And it's now it's the same for the team events. Yep. But yeah, that was just like a really interesting scenario. And I hope to, I hope by talking about this on the podcast, more people going to these team events will understand that day one, if, you know, if there's more than 200 teams in the tournament and the cut is top 20 teams instead of top 24, do not get draws on day one. It's, it's bad for your tournament equity. You're going to play against other people who are slower, playing slower decks, you know, aren't going to concede as well Mm -hmm. and i just think that you know if you if i'm giving out like a team tournament tip don't get draws and it it really is team tournament Mm -hmm. specific yeah i have like two unintentional draws in the past four or five years and they're both from team tournaments (laughs) right right so yeah you know that's it's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Lee points out that seven percent of the field made day two right. at this this past yeah. open, and that's really the way it is now. Is mm-hmm. it is extremely difficult to day two these things. And so yeah, day one has always been the most difficult part of mm-hmm. any team event. Yeah. So like ordinarily, and especially in like you know individual mm-hmm. events, like picking up a draw on day one is not the same. It's not the same as a loss. And sometimes you're like, all right, you know, I don't expect to draw anymore in this tournament. I'm down to take this draw because maybe I can be X11 and still be in a better spot than X2 at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, like it can be a difference, but but for these team events, it's not like somebody's to. just got a scoop. Yeah, and and if it's clear that your opponents just aren't going to be willing to do that, you got to bite the bullet. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so. and it sucks because then you are. Like, if you're in that position where you're clearly ahead, mm-hmm. you probably were going to win, yeah. and then your opponent just, like, plants their foot, and they say, we're not going to scoop. Yeah. It's hard to then be to that person who plant, planted their feet and weren't going to scoop. It's really hard to, you know, there, there's a lot of, like, cognitive <laughs> dissonance going on there oh, yeah. to get yourself to scoop right. in that spot. Yeah, right, for sure. So that's tough. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then and then there's, like, the other difficult part where, like, I typically default to who's ahead on board mm-hmm. for who should get the concession. But I have heard other arguments made about like, oh, well, you played way too slowly this entire match, mm-hmm. so you should concede. And I don't really know where I fall on that 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's better to default to who's ahead on board. Yeah, Like maybe you can use the, like somebody clearly played slower um, as like a tiebreaker there if there isn't really a clear winner yeah but it's it's just a tough touchy subject it is and it's it's like a pretty it's pretty emotionally fraught at that point yeah. like you're both going to be pretty tired after a long match yeah and you know there was the stress of knowing that you're probably going to time and that's mm-hmm. that was hanging over the last like 10 minutes of the match and so right. you've just been in this like stress <clears throat> state for the last yeah. x minutes and that's really hard 
There you have it. Yep. That, so that's that was kind of like my biggest like story from this tournament. And the rest of our tournament, you know, kind of fell apart. I played too slowly. <laughs> I'll take onus over that one. I was, you know, um, Aiden went to time that one time where we got an actual draw. I went to time another time, but we had already ha- we already had a draw, so we were given the concession because mm-hmm. I was ahead. But still, that that was on me. I think for not having the experience that I needed to play fast enough. Sure. Or maybe experience isn't the right word, but like the, I just like didn't have the reps. I didn't yeah. have the, the reflexes. The, um, like I was just a little, a little too much out of touch with Urza. Sure. So. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, definitely another takeaway for me to have out of the event. Yeah. No, that makes um, sense. Austin's deck was great. The blue white um, taxes yeah. with uh Spellqualer and Eldrazi. Yeah. I think that he, he was pretty well set up against Urza. Mm-hmm. I think some of the other versions of Urza could have been a little more difficult for him. Like, I think the Galvanic Blast would have been more tough. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was pretty happy with, with his deck. But yeah. Cool. That was my event. Um, as far as the, like, builds of Urza go, you know, there are... <laughs> are, we, are we actually going to rank them Yeah, out? <laughs> we're, well, we're going to, like, walk through just, like... Because yeah, there's yeah. a few different animals. I mean, most of the mid-range Urza builds are fundamentally very similar some of them have a lot of Ice Fang Quaddles. Some of them have some number of Archmage's Charms. Some of them have, you know, the the build that, like, Edgar was working on and then several members of Lotus Box ended up bringing was, you know, Abrupt Decay's main deck. And, uh, you know, I am a fan of Galvanic Blast, but I'm not going to say that that's, like, the best way to do it. I will say that, you know, Blood Moon is dope. Yeah. And, uh I will be playing Blood Moon this weekend. So. Nice. nice. Excellent. Um, obviously, there's non-mid-range versions of Urza that are still fine. True. You don't see them as much because, you know, just casting Oko is like a powerful winning strategy and supporting Oko with the things that allow you to Oko the most has been like very good. But I like Oko in the most. Like, yeah. If you can do anything in Magic the Gathering right now, it's Oko the most. Well, <laughs> Oko was in 40 of the 60 Day 2 decks. Oh. There were, uh, yeah. I think, 150 Okos in day two of this tournament. It checks out. It's card is really not good. Not okay. Yeah, it is not remotely okay. It's not okay. It's Oko. It's Oko. <laughs> um, <laughs> so all of my Oko m- matches were heavily, heavily influenced by who got down Oko the earliest. Mm-hmm. There's just not a lot that you can do after that. Yeah. You know, that's one of the reasons for Abrupt Decay is it destroys target Oko. That's one of the reasons for Galvanic Blast is it helps you kill the Oko. Like, if you both have Oko, your Oko can team up with Galvanic Blast to kill their Oko. Right. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Not if your Oko is, like, a couple of turns late to the party, though. Yeah. But it's just kind of wild how, like, of the ways that the games can play out, Mm -hmm. there are the games... Like, the only games that we ever really, like, focused on... Like figuring out how to win were the games where both players have an Oko or no player has an Oko. Yeah, because other ones are unsalvageable. Otherwise, the Oko player just wins every time. Yep, and that sucks. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. So every time I had it going, I just felt like I could not lose. Mm-hmm. Played against Amulet multiple times. Uh, got out an Oko. Just their cards stopped mattering. Yeah, you know I could get rid of their so like they had to figure out while i'm pressuring them because oko just makes three three hastes every turn <laughs> while i'm putting them under this incredible clock they have to figure out a sequence that probably involves 
sandbagging their amulet until they can play it and titan mm-hmm. enough against my open mana right. to kill my Oko, right. and then they can go from there. That's really hard. They run out an amulet on turn one, I elk it. Mm-hmm. And then four turns later, like, like th- this is an actual game. Yeah. My opponent runs out an amulet on turn one because their hand required them to do that. I elk it immediately. Four turns later, my Oko is still alive. They cast their primeval titan. I elk their primeval titan. <laughs> I explosives their zombies and just win the game from there. Oh, yeah. Like, and, and it was just this one planeswalker that I played on turn two that just did everything for me. Yep. Just completely thanks, Oko. Neutralized their game plan. Too powerful. Yep. Too good. Um, much they too didn't good. ban it yesterday. Is that correct? They did not ban it. Did they ban anything? Nope. Come on. <laughs> I mean. I'm gonna change. I get to just change two cards in my deck and play it again. Ugh. Um, Can we? When do we get to ban Oko? It's just so clear. It's yep. so clear that Oko needs to leave Modern. Um, I mean, the other big news from this weekend was there were a ton of Primeval Titan decks. Yeah. In day two, so thirty yep. percent Urza decks, twenty for twenty five percent Primeval Titan decks. Mm-hmm. That was a mix of Amulet and Field of the Dead, like just the the ramp decks with arboreal grazer and 30 lands and that sort of stuff i to be quite honest i still am not convinced by these field decks i i believe that they must be better than my initial impression after i ran a league and was like well this deck is just not good uh clearly it's fine you know um congratulations to becky who Mm. with uh caleb and her boyfriend daniel top forward the open that was pretty sweet and she she did it with that field deck becky knows her way around a primeval titan she's pretty good at casting primeval titan yeah Yeah. um so i was very excited to see them there would have loved to see them win but still pretty good (laughs) i don't know i just don't like i understand how these decks can beat urza Mm -hmm. but i've also had them make a bunch of zombies and just beaten them with urza and yeah, I mean, and that's what Dylan was talking a lot about that, is that he said he played he played Urza, mm-hmm. he played against the blue-green field deck mm-hmm. four times, and just easily beat it every time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a little overhyped. It's definitely not a terrible deck. No. But I think it's worse than Valakut. And that's crazy. There was no Valakut in day two. Yeah. There was well, like one... The, I think all the Valakut players... Got Switched. excited about the new stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's a factor. People mm-hmm. get excited about the new stuff mm-hmm. and are going to try it out for at least for one tournament. Yeah. But I think that I think that next week people are going to go back to... The Titan players are going to go back to either Amulet or mm-hmm. Valka. Or at least I think they should. We'll see <laughs> if they do or not. <laughs> the, the kind of mind-boggling thing to me is that most of the Titan decks that I saw mm-hmm. cut the Pactum Negation. Yeah. And that was the card that made me, that like really screws up with, I can just kind of cryptic you out of the game from here. Yeah. Um, because at some point they get that Pact of Negation, get you, and then mm. kill you because they have so many zombies in play. I mean, they have, because they have Bajuka Bog and Field of Ruin, you can't just like cryptic you with no no additional draw yeah and like just lock your combat step and you can never beat me here Mm -hmm. that can't happen because they can disrupt you just like crypticking but they don't have like a direct response to it like 
that they can just like proactively address your cryptic with right without the pact of negation so you're like a lot safer to just like lean on that for a turn or two while you're like building something up with oko or whatever so i just i guess i just don't really understand it and i have to play against somebody good with the deck to really understand what's going on and and why it was a compelling choice for so many people and why it did it did pretty well like i will say that i think that we might be evaluating it a little too much in the context of urza versus this titan deck mm -hmm. i do think that this titan deck does a really really good job against a lot of the rest of the field Mm -hmm. that we might be underestimating where this deck just uh like crushes any mid-range deck that's not urza and uh, like a lot of the aggro decks as well um has some good game against so I think that, and I, I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly what the, that breakdown is, but one of my takeaways from like talking to people was that uh, they felt like like against a lot of the non-Urza decks, they were very favored. So, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I, mean, I think I that can... we might be getting a little too red herringed by the conversation of, oh, this deck has a reasonable matchup against Urza. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that's ever true with <laughs> any deck. So uh, so we kind of have to like contextualize it and um like you're gonna play against non-urza decks a lot as well and if you're crushing those then yeah you're you're probably in a reasonable spot in the metagame i uh it's funny like one of the weaknesses that i have felt that the urza deck has had is to like spell-based stuff and so i was just like you know i I've, i've thought as i was leaving up urza like oh hope we don't run into storm and I played Drake Sasser in the classic, and he was on Storm. Yeah. And he got pretty unlucky against me. You know, he missed land drops and just sure. got like heavily punished because Urza can actually kill you way faster than a mid-range deck should be allowed to kill you. But after our match, he said, Yep, got a bad matchup against Urza, that's why I didn't play this deck in the open. And I was like, Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know <laughs> Well, a lot of these Urza decks are playing a significant amount of uh damping spheres in their sideboard. Mm-hmm. And that card is rough. Yeah. So if you're backing up your damping spheres with counter spells and that's, pressure and pressure, that's just you know a recipe that spells pretty yeah. pretty difficult time for the storm decks. Yeah. I, and and I definitely think that that's true. I didn't have that. I wasn't bringing that to the table. Yeah. 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 Uh, so all I could present was like a little bit of disruption in the clock, and probably he was thinking like it's a bad matchup against the versions that have like. A couple of thought seizes and counter yeah, magic yeah, and yeah. damping sphere. And even just like pushes and decays mm-hmm. are really tough because the traditional storm decks like really lean on their mana dorks. Yeah. And, and my plan, like that's why Burn has an excellent matchup against mm-hmm. them, is that if you just like kill their dudes, they have a hard time winning. Yeah. So. You also have Eidolon, so that's not nothing. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. But that like generally your plan does more often come down to apply a lot of pressure and kill their dude when they right. try to go off and then you win. Right. Um, and, and certainly my build was capable of keeping the dudes off the table. Um, yeah, you had the blast. Yeah. That was and, pretty good. You know, I just drew a lot of... Met- I had two metallic rebukes in my deck, and I drew them a lot against him, so... Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Love me some metallic rebukes. It's pretty satisfying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and when you have the start that's like Goose, Opal, Bobble, I your, got the rebuke in my Your turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, whenever somebody is representing Metallic Rebuke on, like, turn one onward, yep. it just feels it's terrible. Sir, yeah. Yeah. I've got this Oko, but, like, can I cast it? <laughs> I, if I cast it, do I just, like, lose because I traded an Oko for a for a mana? Yeah. And a card? I probably do. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, that's why Mystical Dispute is so good in these mirrors. Yeah. And that's another card that people are running a lot of. So Yeah. Um, I ran a 3-2 split of three Mystical Disputes, two Veil of Summers. Mm-hmm. Um, my tournament weekend, for some reason, I just kept running into Death Shadow and Jund. Mm. Um, part of that is because we were playing, we continued playing the Open with a not great record. Uh, and so we were running into decks that had already lost to Urza, I think. Yeah. And, but, and in the Classic, it was, I mean... Saying that the classic is people who didn't day two the open is pretty meaningless when 93% of people didn't day two the open. <laughs> right. But, you know, classics are a little softer mm-hmm. than other tournaments. And so I ran into a reasonable amount of Jund and Death Shadow there. Yeah. Um, so that made me really regret the particular 3-2 split that I had between those two cards. Yeah. Um, right. I also just didn't play a mirror all weekend long. I'm so jealous. It's so It was bizarre. <laughs> These mirrors are... Something else, let me tell you. Um, I got smashed by uh, an opponent who was playing a Bant Snowblade. Okay. It turned out that he was also a listener of the show, so oh, yeah, it was nice. fine. Don't mind. Can't 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 hate losing to that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, when you don't have an Emery in that matchup, it like feels pretty bad. Like, yeah. There's there's actually like a lot of stuff that they can do to you, and their Planeswalkers are pretty difficult to deal with if they can keep your Oko off the table, which they're pretty good at. So. Um, the matchup was surprisingly hard, but I believe that, and I think Zach mentioned this when he was on the show, mm-hmm. is that if you start off with an early Emery, that can be just a tremendous problem. And I was not, none of my hands were able to do that. So, yeah. Right. I do want to try this experimental frenzy version yeah. of the Urza deck. Yeah. Uh, I first got a glimpse of this because I was birding, um, Ely Shaheen and Ross. Mm-hmm. And I saw the red, and I was like, oh, okay. Chris was really onto something. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it happened, like, back-to-back, where, like, Shaheen casts an Emery and mills over an Experimental Frenzy. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And then, like, right next to him, uh, Ely, like, does the same thing. He casts an Emery and mills over an Experimental Frenzy. And I'm like, it's something else is going on here. <laughs> like, I need to, I need to take a second. And when they both do that next to each other, yeah. you got to think like, are they running four experimental frenzies? I, right, yeah, yeah. Is this just like a? Well, they're all in on frenzies. <laughs> Turns out, no, they're only running two. Yeah, but and one on the board. So, oh, okay, pretty dense. I mean, one, honestly, two, one them. Yeah, it seemed. Uh, I heard a lot of good stories from Ross about the experimental frenzies that he cast over the weekend. So, the experimental frenzy and three metallic rebuke combo is really it's a really nice one (laughs) yeah yeah um but and another thing that their deck list did was um their mana base is completely different they cut all the mystic sanctuaries so their mana base is much cleaner no cryptics um yeah no cryptics they're not really messing around with that stuff yeah i mean you know list looks pretty interesting they're on two aether spell bomb as well Mm -hmm. um i know edgar was a proponent and abe Yep. Uh, we're both proponents. And of... I definitely have, and like that card has been quite good for me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, never felt the need to go up to a second one, but, you know, I don't hate it. The thing that made me want to go up to a second one was Edgar describing uh, the way that it can really be utilized in the mirror. Because mm-hmm. I always thought it was pretty dead in the mirror. Mm-hmm. But he was talking about if you have an Emery yep. and your opponent plays an Emery, mm-hmm. uh, you can just bounce their emery with spell bomb mm-hmm. and then you get into this play pattern where you're not really gaining any advantage but you're bouncing their emery every turn mm-hmm. so you're kind of at parity but your opponent is milling themselves out. yeah um huh. 
And they get to this point where, because, and some another thing that happens a lot in this mirror that I found is that sometimes you can be, like, ahead on board, but if you've, like, milled out a lot of your good cards... You don't have as many resources. You just, like, you're just not going to have access to the resources, and huh. the game's going to go long. So he found that, like, people, like, he would just start bouncing people's Emerys every turn, and they would be recasting them, and then they would, like, notice that their deck is only, like, ten cards now all of a sudden. Huh. And, and then they'd have to stop, but, like, it's kind of too late too by late. then. Um, or they stop casting their Emery. Which is great for you. And then you just, you like, get to spell just on play, cards. and you just start drawing your cards. And then they can never kill your Emery. Yeah. Because you have a spell bomb in play. Right. Um, and it does have a lot of other utility. Like, you can, like, kill. You can, like, reset your elk things if you want. You can um, mm-hmm. reset your opponent's elk things or kill their food that's been elked. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, and when they elk your Urza and you get to bounce your Urza and replay it, like, that's a pretty big win for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Like, having a whole extra permanent there is really good. Well, I I definitely want to... I'm going to give, like, this 75 a shot. The Ashiok Nightmare Weaver in the sideboard is definitely a wild one. Is that just the wrong Ashiok in this list, I guess? It's a typo. Okay, yeah. It has to be a typo. They don't have any black man in their deck. Yeah. Well, yeah, except for the, the eight... Artifacts, yeah, no, this is just good Ashiok. That, yeah, that's, it's, that's it's just, it yeah, okay. I, I'm pretty sure it's just the new Ashiok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure if we just look at, you know, Pete Ingram's list I don't think it's outside of Ely's range to play Ashiok Night Warrior, but, yeah. uh, like, I do know he loves that card, but um, I don't I don't think that's actually what it's supposed okay. to be. Okay, that makes sense, because yeah. the, um, and now I, because I have Nightmare Weaver in my head, I can't remember the name of Hybrid Mana Ashiok, but, uh, you know, that it one has... me. <laughs> That one has been a very common sideboard card in Urza for the past... I mean, gained popularity in the past couple of weeks, but, um, you know, powerful, very good against the Primeval Titan decks, uh, and isn't great graveyard hate, but, you know, does something in slower graveyardy matchups. I don't know if people have been bringing it in in the mirror. No, I think it's terrible in the mirror. Yeah, but I have had people bring it in against me, Okay. Even though I'm not a war version. Sure. And when I have been really, when I've been not expecting it, it's been kind of brutal. I could maybe see bringing it in against the war version. Yeah. It's, seems pretty medium, but sometimes like they brought it in against me and like, I have a fetch land in my hand. Yeah. And I wasn't <laughs> playing around that because I hold my fetch lands because they might be mystic sanctuaries. Oh, people are holding their fetch lands. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, and maybe, then they, maybe you can they, get them. They nuke my graveyard, and then my Emery's, Emery's like, kind of bad. bad. But I don't think that it's very good. It yeah. just, like, got me once in a while. <laughs> it's fair. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Experiment and Frenzy, I don't know if it's great, but uh, it's certainly cool. Yep. And it can't be elked. And yeah, and that's huge. Yeah. Is that it, I do think, on its own, is going to trump an Oko. Mm-hmm. And that that on its own not a lot be, of cards do that yeah not many cards do that but this will give you an oko to respond to their oko with in mm-hmm. addition to just a ton of permanence and stuff right right and that's the key to being an oko is just to go wide yeah um so yep yeah and i mean having your removal spell be galvanic blast that you flip with experimental frenzy means mm-hmm. that like you flip your removal spell you're going to do something good with this galvanic blast yeah. so i deck is definitely sweet so i'll give it a shot uh, and you still get to run Blood Moons in your sideboard, which are obviously very good if yes. everybody is uh, Primeval Titaning. <laughs> Indeed. 
As far as changes to my list that I would make after this weekend, mm-hmm. I had, I mean, probably need to take my feelings with a little bit of a grain of salt because I played so much more against like black green based mid-range decks than I did against Urza. Yeah. So, you know, I had two tireless trackers in my sideboard and I had two ice fang quaddles in my sideboard. And by the end of the weekend, I was like, God, I just wish these trackers were more ice fang quaddles. Because <laughs> um, ice fang quaddle is a good complement to the galvanic blast. It, it kills the things that galvanic blast fails to kill. And so I just, I, I don't, really want them main deck but sure. i really really wanted to bring them in against all of the tarmogoyf decks that i played yeah, against yeah, yeah. um because tarmogoyf is so big against you every time i agree <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but yeah so gonna play urza again some yeah. variety next weekend i am not gonna play urza yeah again um i think that if you want to win you should play urza mm-hmm. um but my i think my biggest regret for this weekend was you know i just got out of my pc slog and i kind of want to take it a little easier for these tournaments try Mm -hmm. to you know find myself having fun playing magic again Mm -hmm. um i i think that it would have been a better decision for me to play a fun deck Mm -hmm. or just a deck i enjoyed more um so i think i should have kind of doubled down on austin's taxes deck and played it for this weekend yeah um next weekend i'm either i think i'm probably going to play monorod prowess oh cool yeah, sure. Um, Casey Lancaster was talking yeah. that deck up all weekend. Like he does. Yeah, he <laughs> loves it. And yeah, he, I mean, honestly, he sold me on, on Prowess. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I think, convinced me that it has a good matchup against Urza. And and also, it's just more of my speed. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I like slinging some red spells. Yeah. So I, you know, I think given the fact that my primary objective for this week is going to be testing pioneer not modern even right. though i'm playing a modern open this weekend uh it's just going to be a good default for me to be like i know how to play browse mm-hmm. do that well you got a pioneer pro tour coming up so what exactly what have you i know you just started your pioneer journey but yeah what have you learned so far chonky red is really good uh-huh <laughs> this is the <laughs> deck that the original versions of it on this podcast, I think I remember bringing up a list and being like, I don't get yeah. this. The- well, right. The the first like thing that jumps out at you is that this mono red deck is playing 26 lands. Yeah. Which I love to see, honestly. And I am leaning more and more towards the camp of, in London Mulligan, just put more lands in your deck. Mm-hmm. Like, you Mulligan, you have some excess lands, put one back, it's easy. Yeah. You don't have to think about which of these spells right. is the worst. Right. That's No, I love that. When I go to six and I have <laughs> yeah. four lands, I'm just right. like... Get that out of here. Yeah, yeah. It's simple. But I think that's really real because when you mulligan, you just like want to have, like every time you want to have lands and then you're mulliganing for the correct spells. Mm-hmm. So I think that like the higher land count is just A, better in London mm-hmm. than it ever has been. And B, um, in this red, it's it's just big red, right? So you just like a bunch of your lands are already spells. Mm-hmm. You're playing. Um, and you like the four mutable version. Yeah. Um, so, the, yeah, the version I was playing, um, I was just playing the list that won the Classic last weekend by mm-hmm. Kevin Huang, I think was okay. the name of the person. And I know Todd Anderson has been... Yeah, Todd Anderson has been playing a lot of it and coined the 
chonky red chonky red phrase moniker yeah, yeah. uh which i love but <laughs> and john uh, rossum hates oh yeah yeah rossum has been staying with us this week um and uh every time we, we bring that up he <laughs> he leaves the room he, he becomes all rossum about it you know um so um but yeah so 26 lands which is great um and then you just get to play all the best red spells um, and the red spells are real good Glorybringer slaps yeah it's so good it's Every time really I good. cast a Glorybringer, I'm like, oh, I just can't lose anymore. <laughs> this is great. It's pretty wild. Um, and you get to play Chandra, Torch of Defiance, another busted card. You get to play um, six Rabble Masters, another mm-hmm. busted card. And I think, so I played two leagues so far. 10-0. <laughs> Undefeated. Undefeated. Um, Put up the gloves. You're yeah. done. <laughs> All right. Retire. Lock it in. Register my necklace for Phoenix. <laughs> um, a whole set early. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think a lot of the reason why I did really well is that um, a big part of playing this deck is it's not like a traditional aggro deck. You're not trying to squeeze out every point of damage. Yeah. You're a mid-range deck. Mm-hmm. You are looking to get the most value out of all, of all of your spells. And a big part of that is tempo. And I played a lot of mirrors. And I didn't come close to losing any of the mirrors because my opponents on Magic Online just didn't understand the tempo element of rabble master and lightning strike where <laughs> if you're on the play and your opponent passes with two mana you cannot play your rabble master don't play rabble master because you're gonna have a lightning strike you're 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 this red deck with a million burn spells so you're mm-hmm. gonna have like a two damage burn spell so is your opponent so just play your third land pass the turn then and this happened a lot for me on magic online is that i played my third land i passed the turn they played their rabble master i lightning struck it i untapped i played mine get my token game yeah <laughs> And then they kill it, you know, and the game plays on, but you just like getting extra value from those sequences. Yep. Um, and just like understanding to play around stuff and Well, and um, that one token is pretty important when you have Torbrand in your deck. Yeah, and then you play Torbrand or uh as I'm gonna call him from now on, Toblerone. <laughs> <laughs> um you play that guy and you're you attack your opponent for three with your like your goblin token that you're very proud of right. because you earned it. You're very proud of this goblin token. And it can it reduces your ember cleave by one mana and does oh, all yeah. this work. Oh, it, it makes just their, feels so good. Makes their Chandra really awkward. They can't like come down and Chandra mm-hmm. minus on your glory bringer right. because you'll kill it with this token that you have left over. Yeah. Also PSA to everyone playing Leagues of Pioneer, you need a main phase stop for Rabble Master. Yeah. A lot of people didn't have a main face stop. Or at least click it when the Rebel yeah. Master goes on the stack. I had a lot of goblin tokens that I was not proud of. <laughs> the old arena goblin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The old arena goblin token. My, I play my goblin Rebel Master, and then I'm immediately triggering it because my opponent didn't have a stop. Oof. And uh, and then they kill my Rebel Master, and I hit him for one. <laughs> uh, so. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Well... Definitely am interested in seeing how Pioneer develops and what you will be working on. I've... Yeah. I'm not going to stop at, at Big Red. No. Um, it's certainly my favorite thing so far, and I think it's just easily the best deck right now. Uh, that's going to change when Theros comes out. I Some of these cards are going to be good in Pioneer. Yeah, that's going to change when Theros comes out. Um, you want to start? We want to do some of these spoilers? Yeah. I, so the first two we're going to talk about, I think, are cards that are going to be good in Pioneer. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are the Titans. And we can sort of talk about them separately, sort of talk about them together. Yep. Um, Kruxa, Titan of Death's Hunger. This is black-red. All the, the, Both of the Titans are 
callbacks to the original Titan cycle. So they are six sixes with mm-hmm. uh, triggered abilities that happen when they enter the battlefield or attack. Yeah. So Kroxa is black red for a six six, but when it enters the battlefield, you sacrifice it unless it escaped. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, each opponent discards a card. Then each opponent who didn't discard a non-land card this way loses three life. So ignoring the horrible templating, like just the like unparsability of that sentence. Yeah. Each opponent has to discard a card. Yeah. If they discarded a spell, that's what happened. They discard a spell. Yeah. If they discarded a land or they didn't discard a card at all because their hand was empty, right. then they also lose three life. That's yeah. what happens every time this enters the battlefield or attacks. Mm-hmm. So that's what happens when you just cast this and then it dies. Yeah. Um, it's also got escape for black, black, red, red, and exile five other cards from your graveyard. And that's really like the draw. And that's how you get the six mana or the six six in yeah. play. Yeah. 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 It's by escaping. Really cute about this is that like the other titans casting this costs like six mana to actually get it yeah but you get two triggers off of it if yeah you i mean that. it's pretty good um we've also got uro titan of nature's wrath one blue green for a six six when it enters the battlefield sacrifice it unless it escaped when it enters the battlefield or attacks you gain three life draw a card and then you can put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield and so it's, it's got escape blue blue green green yeah so it's explore with gain three life stapled onto it yeah um pretty good Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, also, this costs six mana total because mm-hmm. you get to put the land into play. Uh, and so that discounts it and then you can pay for the, all right, the all right. escape. Yeah. So pretty cute. Worth noting, there's like kind of no way to cheat these things into play. Yeah. Like even though they have low mana cost, if you unearth them or something, yeah. then they the, just... The way that that line is templated yeah. is that if it's entering a battlefield in any other way that wasn't you escaped it, yeah. you're going to sacrifice it. Um, so, so I think even if you flicker it or whatever, you'll get another trigger, but it's a bad idea, but it, yeah, but you're going to lose it. <laughs> um, you also can't. So like the blue green Titan goes really, really well with in a Cavalier of Thorns deck. Yeah. Like it curves into the Cavalier and the right. Cavalier dumps cards into your graveyard yeah. and then you can use those to escape. Or if you didn't have the Uro and you cast Cavalier, Cavalier might just put Uro into your graveyard and that's card advantage, baby. Yeah, that's <laughs> honestly, uh, <laughs> But you can't quasi-duplicate the Uro and have it work out particularly well. Yeah. So. Right. Both of these cards seem pretty wild to me. Um, I think yeah. Uro's application is a little bit clearer because it slots straight into some blue-green Cavalier decks and just will do work there. But I believe both of them will have wide implications on Pioneer, certainly, and yeah. probably also Modern. Yeah. Um, value cards that you can cast out of your graveyard and are just a gigantic battlefield presence. Mm-hmm matter yeah pioneer is definitely going to give us a, like more tools to be able to dump these things into our graveyard um and more tools than standard does you mean yeah, yeah. than standard does and yeah. and modern is even more than that right so um i yeah i do think that these will have an impact on the the eternal formats mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see in standard what kinds of enablers become the best like cavalier of thorns is like a very clear one and yeah. obviously very good just get your cavaliers um, of thorns like yeah but I the other you. the other color combinations of these titans mm-hmm. seem like they might be pretty difficult to enable yeah um like this black red one like how how's this black red de- like does black have any good ways of dumping things in the graveyard well we got timurit calls the dead spoiled mm-hmm. which is the saga that mills you for three twice okay. and like you can exile the creature to make a zombie sure each of those times mm-hmm. so like that's a what start. color is that it's black two and a black okay okay 
Um, however, I don't think that card is particularly good. Like yeah. it functions as an enabler and is all right. Honestly, this Titan, this black red one, like you can probably just like put it into a pretty aggressive deck. Mm -hmm. Like the casting, the initial cast is not great because it's like discard a card, maybe they lose three life. I would hate to be doing that in my aggro deck. Yeah, I mean, but maybe, you know, more of like a medium-sized black-red deck sure. with like lots of burn spells and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then this thing is just like a huge monster. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like really you do want to be like discarding it or milling it or something. Yeah. Um, but and I don't know if we're getting more Titans and other color combinations. It's like, I saw somebody say that Marrow confirmed that there were only two in this set. Mm -hmm. um, so this might be all we're getting. But in, like, in Pioneer in particular, like, these are really good things to trigger prized amalgams with. Yeah. You really get a Battlefield presence. And one of the ways that the prized amalgam decks lose is sometimes just an opponent is able to create better creatures and you can't kill them with a bunch of three threes yeah yeah uh hard to create better creatures than these six these, sixes these titans that yeah, get card advantage when they triggers. attack yeah yeah and never really die and if, if you can keep dumping cards at least mm -hmm. yeah um these cards are gonna have big impacts i think it'll be interesting to see which escape cards make it into like the modern dredge deck? Because mm -hmm. I, you know, I mean, obviously the there's the red one one which is clearly printed for dredge. Yes, it'll be interesting to see if any of these other ones kind of like sneak in there as like, oh, this one's actually like a really good utility card to have. So. Yeah, I actually hadn't really thought about the fact that the ox, in addition to being like a cathartic reunion from your graveyard, just mm -hmm. also triggers your prized amalgams. So nice, <laughs> that's nice. It's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited to play with these Titans. Uh, at some point, I believe we will be less than excited about the Titans, but... We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, Just, you know, if we're going to have stuff like Oko around, mm -hmm. give us more stuff like Oko. Like, if we're <laughs> going to increase the power level, I want it to be more than this one Planeswalker. Right. <laughs> like, can it be... You know, maybe that's, like, coming, but... Um, you yeah. Know, I'm down to increase power level of magic as long as it's, like... Yeah multiple More. color combinations multiple yeah. strategies yeah 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 I, I mean certainly that has to be how it happens if we're increasing power level mm -hmm. but i do like making some like wonky cards work which is really hard when you're playing against a lot of cards at oko's power level yeah this card i mostly put this in here because it's cool but okay. honestly this could see i could see it uh this is a saga kiora bests the sea god this is five blue blue seven mana saga its first stage is create an 8-8 blue cracking creature token with hexproof. Solid. Important. Yeah. Two is tap all non-land permanents target opponent controls. They don't untap during their controller's next untap step. Yikes. And then three is gain control of target permanent and opponent controls. Untap it. Wow. All of those effects are really powerful. Yeah. It's just three just like banger abilities. 8-8. <laughs> tap all your... Ice all of your stuff. <laughs> At least they still have their mana. Yeah. But... It's hard for them to do anything about the 8-8 Hexproof with yeah. their mana. They need their board to do right. that. Right, Yeah. And then you... Okay, so here's the play pattern. You play it. You get your 8-8. Mm -hmm. Your opponent takes a turn. They are very sad. Your turn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, they can't you attack... tap all their stuff. Right. Uh, they can't attack into the 8-8. Yeah. They can't remove the 8-8 because it has Hexproof. Opponent's turn again. They play a thing to... Chump, to to chump or deal with this 8-8. Your next turn, you steal it. Yeah, <laughs> it's the same card. <laughs> it's like, 
<laughs> this feels like one uh, it like it's so expensive it's seven mana yeah. but like in a lot of matchups like I, I feel like this can feel like a cruel ultimatum sort of role of just like here's a giant spell yeah it resolves you're dead <laughs> you are you're dead yeah yeah wow this card i mean thank thank goodness it's seven mana <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because it seems reasonable at seven mana. But honestly, limited application, not a lot of decks can cast a seven mana spell. Yeah. But, you know, I could see this being a sideboard card in matchups. And I will say, uh, you know, as fun as I'm thinking about all these play patterns right now, this card's going to suck in limited. And and not in the, not in the, like, it's not playable kind of way. As in, you can never, ever beat it. Never, ever, ever beating this card in limited. Imagine opening this in sealed. You have no other blue cards, and you're going to play this card. Like, you could have literally zero yeah. blue cards in your packs, yeah. and you're going to play blue for this thing. 8-8, eight, eight, Hexproof. <laughs> Tap all of your opponent's stuff for more than one turn. Steal something. Steal your on best one card. thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. At least this one's mythic. You know, they've made okay. some... Reasonable. You know. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a little back. The Tetsumak of this set is not just a rare... So that's good, but it's it is never going to be beatable. Even if you kill the saga, they have an eight eight hexproof. Sure, yeah, and maybe the format hashes like you know sometimes these limited formats people just have big stuff all mm-hmm. the time. So that's like or like big boards, or right? But um, yeah, wow, yep, this card's wild. So I'll I'll be trying to play that in constructed. It may not quite get there, but the it you are getting your seven mana's worth out of the card if you can play a seven mana spell in your deck yeah um so this one and I, unfortunately i didn't see the english version until later uh but i believe I it is called the second line of text too right now so right and i believe the name of this card is dad bod dryad I, yeah that checks out okay great yeah <laughs> it's i think it's like elysian field dryad uh it is two and a green for a two four you can play an extra land on each of your turns, and all of your lands have all basic land types. Yeah. So, you, wait, you get to play an additional land as the first line of text? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's an exploration and a prismatic omen and a 2-4. Seems good. Yeah. Only three mana. Only three mana. The Valakut decks that people are playing now mostly are leaning more towards, like, the Once Upon a Time creature version yep. with arboreal grazer anyways having this in a deck with arboreal grazer as well means you definitely have to be running like 30 lands yeah uh and the like hilarious dream scenario of like arboreal grazer turn one turn two this dryad play a land turn three play another land play a primeval titan de- kill you got like, there you need that's like i believe you need nine perfect cards to do that right with. yeah um and so probably the the valakut deck that is running this is also running like tireless tracker or something like that to help reload mm-hmm. um and i thought at that point maybe you're just running like collected company valakut or something yeah maybe maybe the better yeah well i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but it does do a really powerful combination of effects in giving you extra land drops and making your valakuts just start bolting them at six lands no yeah. matter what those lands are right yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this effect has always been very, very good in in mm-hmm. um, in Valakut, So, yeah, I, I think it feels really likely to me mm-hmm. that it will see play there. I don't know that it is useful like anywhere else, True. even in like I don't. It's not quite cutting it for amulet. No, and I don't really see much in the way of standard applications for it either. Yeah. Probably right, but I could be surprised. It is a pretty powerful combination of effects. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I can see it happening in a standard mid-rangey deck, mm-hmm. but who knows? Um, my my favorite part of this card that's like outside of Magic is that I saw a picture of the artist. I don't know if you've seen this, but it's no. like him on a couch striking this pose. <laughs> and, but instead of holding up just whatever this guy is, he has like the original art of this card. It's <laughs> it's really good. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I I'll haven't seen that. Up. Yeah, I, I definitely want to see that. Yeah. Um, one weird note to to realize about this card, it does sort of help against Blood Moon in that. Uh, if it come de- comes down after the Blood Moon, you can still, like, cast yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. Your Valakuts don't work, but, you know, your your mana is unlocked. If the Blood Moon comes down after this, then the Blood Moon wins, though, because yeah. it's the same layer, so it's timestamp yeah. order. However, this always beats getting Elked. Your lands are still all types after it gets Elked. Yeah. So, right. you know, they gotta steal it with their Oko to turn <laughs> that off. Goodness. Oh, yeah. The so. number of strange elk synergies with timestamps is yeah more than zero, and I'm sad about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, this, this, yeah and this one specifically isn't a timestamp thing; mm-hmm. it's just a layers thing. Or, because sorry, you, yeah, layers thing is, right. is what I meant. Yeah. You you add types first, mm-hmm. add and remove types first, right? And then you remove abilities. So yeah, the yeah. the lands are already everything before it becomes an elk. And then the last spoiler that we're going to talk about is whirlwind denial. Oh yeah, uh, two in a blue instant. For each spell and ability, your opponent's control counter it unless its controller pays four. So fully counters Hydra Crisis. Right. Fully counters Eldrazi. Yep. Counters all the storm copies on the stack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of applications for this. Mm-hmm. It's three mana, which is a lot for the older formats, mm-hmm. but the effect is pretty powerful and definitely has a, like, you know, you can counter like, you know, your all your opponent's Falcon triggers or whatever. Um, Storm. Yeah, all the things you mentioned. So, yeah. It, yeah, it seems like there's a lot of application for it, but it'll be interesting to see if it sees any play in standard. I don't, I can't think of anything right now. Oh, Hydro. Well, Hydro Crisis is a big one. Yeah, and I bet that's enough to yeah. make this because it's like very close to cancel, anyways. Sure. Yeah, and in the older formats, like honestly, sometimes I'm willing to have this effect in my deck for three mana. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the key is that, like, yes, we've seen cards that do some of these things. We've seen cards that you know we can fully counter an Ulamog with, and we've seen cards that are good against Storm. But this wraps, like, a lot of them up into one package Mm -hmm. and just, like, covers a lot of bases in one card and is... I mean, Cancel is not a great card in Modern, but we've been putting Archmage's Charms in some decks, so it's not, like, crazy. And and so if if the format is out of place, we're like, I need this counterspell that's good against Storm and is good against these Eldrazi triggers you know, could easily be flexible enough to, to get that spot. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's all the spoilers we have. Yeah, Um. not talking about Heliod. Did we talk about Heliod on the last one? Uh, I don't remember. Um. I don't think so, actually. Okay, well, yeah, so there's Heliod, uh, <laughs> eh, Sun Crown. It's fine. Eh, it's, see, that's the thing. Okay, It's so not, it's not Twin. Yeah. Two and a white for a 5-5. Five, five. It is not a creature unless you have devotion to white of five or more. Uh, one in a white target creature you control gets lifelink until end of turn. Uh, whenever you gain life, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature or enchantment you control. Yep. I did that all from memory, by the way, just Excellent. so everybody knows. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Obvious combo is with Walking Ballista. Yep. I believe the Walking Ballista combo is more awkward than people are giving it credit for. I was going to say the same thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So technically, it's an infant combo with a couple of cards. The cleanest one, I think, is Spike Feeder. Mm-hmm. 
It's just dip in a white. Right, and you can company into those um, too. Yeah, so that's nice. And But then, yeah, so with Walking Bliss, and this is like the pioneer combo that mm-hmm. people are talking about a lot, is um, you can get that infinite. But it's just it just doesn't work out easily to be able to do it on turn four. It's just really awkward to do it. The ballista has to start with two counters. Yeah. Then you have to give the ballista lifelink, and then you can combo off. Yeah. So you the the easiest turn four sequence is turn two ballista or wait, no, that doesn't even work. Uh, it would be like turn two ballista. So so the easiest way to do it is with a radiant fountain. Right. Okay. So you play yeah, yeah. either have the ballista in play on turn two, play Heliod on turn three, or play Heliod on turn three. Play the ballista for two mana, or or, or play, yeah, play the ballista for two mana. Give it lifelink. Play Radiant Fountain. Put the counter on it. Yeah. And then you you kill them. Yeah. So yeah. you know that is what makes it easiest to do. <laughs> but that's a lot. You and have that's to have another still combo piece. You still yeah. like get owned by fatal push or literally any instant speed removal spell in the format however i think that that criticism mostly applies to if you're building a deck with the goal of doing this combo yeah uh if you can build a deck where heliot is good Uh and walking ballista is good yeah and then sometimes you just kill them right that's that's what i want to do but the first bullet point seems really difficult because you have to build a deck where Heliod is good mm-hmm. without it comboing. And the card is just not that good. I think it's very good in standard, potentially. Okay. I think that this may be one of the cards that helps people play white decks again. Because you can just build aggro white weenie with a life gain sub-theme. And this is going to be one of your best cards in there. Okay. And we still have Venerated Loxodon. Mm-hmm. And we still have Healer's Hawk. Yeah. You know, Healer's Hawk. And then you like cast this on turn three and you attack with the healer's hawk and start putting counters on stuff yeah then you're doing stuff right and then that type of deck it's very easy to turn on heliod Mm -hmm. and then it's just a five five indestructible right and when you are making heliod a five five indestructible then it's that's when it shines yeah yeah so but my other complaint is that then you're playing white (laughs) yep and hopefully we're getting some stuff we've got new the new elspeth is pretty good yeah yeah, Um, yeah yeah I, I believe that there that a white based creature deck is at least going to get close mm-hmm. and can involve Heliod. We we have a Johnny's Pride Mate too. We have a Johnny that makes a Johnny's Pride Mates. Like this life gain theme deck could be potentially pretty strong. Okay, I'm always to, down to try for yeah. sure. White Weenie seems to be the first deck I try in every archetype or in every new format. Uh-huh. So so yeah, <laughs> hopefully we can uh, we can figure something out there. But yeah, in Pioneer. I wouldn't mind trying it in, like, a Knight of the White Orchid kind of build. Sure. Um, obviously, you are going to fit your Walking Blisses into that deck somewhere. Um, I, I don't really know how it's going to work. I, I guarantee that in your Pioneer testing, you will die to some Heliod Walking Ballista combos. <laughs> like, it will kill you. Yeah. But who yeah, knows yeah. if it ends up being particularly good. Right. All right. Let's just quickly check for some Patreon questions. Maybe somebody in chat can have a question for us. There are Pioneer decks with Wayward Swordtooth in them. Yeah, but those decks aren't really that... They're worse than just, like, the ramp deck. Like, there's a real cost to exploration effects, and you need to be mitigating that. Like, it's not that it's card disadvantage, but it's that 
making land drops over and over is difficult without something giving you those lands to make the right. land drops with. Yeah. If you're ever bricking on your exploration, it feels bad. Right. You're, yeah. You've kind of gained nothing from the effect. Yeah. Um, and it can be really powerful, but mm-hmm. we certainly don't have like bounce lands or anything like that. You know, Tireless Tracker goes great with that kind of effect. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm not opposed to some sort of collected company deck with like Tireless Tracker, Corsair Crucifix, you know, Exploration Guy. Maybe you're doing a whole lot of nothing, but, you know, you're like doing things while you're not accomplishing anything. I'm always down to spin some wheels, you yeah. know. All right. So looks like this is a good question. Uh, By Jiminy asks... Since Modern Horizons, and after several bannings and unbannings, we seem to have a less diverse modern metagame than we did prior to Modern Horizons. If we think of 2019 as a year-long experiment in shaking up modern, was it successful? Is it any slower, more interactive, more fun? Any wishes for the format in the new year? If we're taking like the snapshot of where we're at right now, and even just looking through 2019, I would not classify this experiment as successful. Mm-hmm. I think that they just went through too many mistakes that were too costly, which kind of is a bummer because I like that they were experimenting with things. Yeah. But Hogak mm-hmm. happened. That was bad. Uh, Oko is happening. It's pretty bad. Pretty bad. You know, what other like big experimental things that that they do that had a big impact? I think probably it might just be those two that were like hugely detrimental to the format. Yeah. Health. I mean, it's possible mm-hmm. that, I mean, obviously Oko is propping up Urza, but I believe that Urza mm-hmm. as a card is a slightly too high power level. Yeah, but it's at a power level that I think it would be fine for modern to be at because like Urza on its own wasn't ever like completely dominating modern mm-hmm. and like the Wurza deck was good. Yep. And it might have even been tier one and even like arguably the best deck. But what we have with Oko is something else. Yeah. And what we have, what we had with Hogak is also something else. Yeah. So like um, those two and yeah, Veil of Summer as well. Yeah. Those three cards were a failure, I think, on the part of. Um, I think as a R&D. whole, Modern Horizons to me, is a pretty big miss. Mm-hmm. I think modern is a cool idea in and sort of experiment with the concept of, like, all of the most powerful cards from Magic's, like, modern history, starting at Mirrodin era, battling it out to see, like, what's the best stuff that we've done? What's, like, the most powerful ways to put these cards together? And then Modern Horizons gets printed and is like, guess what? None of those cards are very good compared to these cards. Right. And then here's Arkham's Astrolabe. Here's Urza. Here's just, here's Hogak. Like, this is what you have to do now. Yeah. And, like, yes, new cards breaking into formats is cool, but it's only really cool when it's new cards breaking in from, like, standard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, oh, actually, you know what? This card might be good enough for modern. Yeah. And while, like... Yes, Oko is a disaster. Like, a lot of times that discovery of a standard level card that is just like, okay, like, 
you know, Chandra Torch of Defiance can be a role player sideboard card in this mm-hmm. deck, and I'm yeah. glad that I figured that out. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's really satisfying. But right. when it's designed specifically for the modern format, it feels fake, and it feels like you're losing some of the, like, point of the format. Yeah. And if it was, if it was like, slightly different, and instead, uh, it, like, it was like, okay, we're introducing these cards in the format, and you looked at the set, and you're like, all right, these can compete. You know, mm-hmm. these these can stand alongside... Jund and mm-hmm. you know affinity and I've just forgotten all of the whole they don't exist old... anymore yeah right. right yeah like okay we can fight alongside these decks that are staples of the format yeah instead the story was oh wow look at all these new cards they crush what used to be standard yeah. in modern like, we we went through yeah multiple months of yeah literally nothing can beat hogak right yeah you should that, not play anything else. Yeah, and that, you know, so so th- I think the objective should be like, all right, we're printing all these new cards and look at this new standard card. Wow, it can compete mm-hmm. in modern. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Not, wow, look at this new standard card. It renders it's, it's all in of modern. 40 of the 60 yeah. decks in modern now uh, <laughs> that yep. made day two of the open. You know, it's just, it's yeah, it's too much. Definitely. Yeah. And it, it definitely just feels like some of this stuff was like throwing darts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the the Faithless Looting ban along with Hogak just right. felt a little bit like, you know, Scorched Earth response to that thing happening. And now... Yeah. Definitely an overreaction. Mox Opal is the most powerful. You know, Faithless Looting right. and Mox Opal were probably the two most powerful cards in Modern. Yeah, and One of them got... Yeah. Yeah, and Starting's... Sorry, which is, like, laughable it's now. It's definitely, like, an also-ran. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Didn't I hear about somebody cutting stirrings from their amulet deck? I mean, once upon a time, weekend? just, like, subs right in, I guess. Yeah, I mean, once upon a time, for sure. But, yeah, I mean, um, right, yeah. So now Mox Opal is too dominant um, because it pairs perfectly with this new Busted Planeswalker mm-hmm. and, you know, all this stuff, so. Yeah. And we can't really do graveyard stuff anymore, which is one of the things that, like, Urza is naturally vulnerable to if you right. don't stick hate cards into valuable slots in your deck um but we just don't have the capability to exploit that weakness of the deck because dredge sucks and the other graveyard decks can't exist yeah so weird spot and like to see some different developments going forward indeed um cool well thank you so much to everybody for listening we really appreciate you hanging out everybody hanging out in chat we appreciate your participation um if you want to you know come hang out with us live we do record live hope we try to do it every tuesday uh but it it when we do it live it will always be tuesday at 7 30 p.m eastern yep. standard time and i think we're gonna be much better at that now that the holidays are over yep. i think that um, it's pretty safe to say that we'll be here at 7.30 on Tuesdays yeah. moving forward. That is definitely the plan. Yep. Um, Collins, you are starting up streaming now. That is your plan. That is my plan. Um, so anybody who's interested in that can check me out tomorrow at a time I don't know yet. But, hmm. well, it'll be... It'll well, be for this those, morning. For those listening <laughs> in the in the chat right now, um, yep. you can check me out tomorrow. Uh, I'll be streaming. It's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Probably have some 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 guests. Cool. Uh, we've got Rossum in town. We've got Apestein in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, both fun people to hang out with. So, yeah. Um, and so you're going to be targeting like daytime streaming. You're yeah. going to be a soap opera streamer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Targeting the daytime. Um, playing mostly Pioneer, 
right now, and then I'm going to be switching over to playing a lot of Limited. Um, and I'm going to be streaming what I want to play. I know Limited isn't a huge like pull for um, like a big audience or whatever, but um, it's... Well, I a... think it's different when it's... But coverage and streaming are two very different animals. Sure. And I think people who do not want to watch coverage of Limited mm-hmm. are still very happy some like some people not everybody wants to watch limited streams but there's still an audience for it yeah, yeah. um that doesn't really exist for limited coverage so yeah so yeah. um so yeah cool it should be exciting and i mean you're preparing for the pt so that'll I be am, good to watch i am preparing for the players tour mm-hmm. did i get that right yeah who knows i just say pt so i don't <laughs> screw it up <laughs> right yeah <laughs> cool um then i will probably see the problem is the Twitch is blocked at my work, so I won't be able to put you up on my second monitor. That is a bummer. It is a bummer. But yeah. maybe maybe it'll be on my phone. <laughs> there you go. Um, thanks, everybody, so much for hanging out, whether you are in chat or at home. We really, really appreciate your time. If you want to lend us some support, you can head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast or head over to mtggrindcast.com. We've got all of our episodes, and we've got links to our Patreon and stuff. Uh, we are sending out rewards. We have a big stack of 800 count long boxes filled with a beautiful playmat, <laughs> and uh, be slapping some shipping labels on those and getting them out. So should um, be fun. Sign up for that playmat tier, and you will get your own Collins Mullen, Nana Mantis, CCR holding an Arclight Phoenix. Yeah, they're good playmats. They, right? I'm so happy with them. <laughs> Very excited. And we just put a bunch of open boxes. Yep, ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um. That's it. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Um, oh, no, that's not it. Oh. I missed uh, social media plugs. Okay, we got to do it. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, you can find me tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Uh, the podcast Twitter is at MTG underscore Grindcast. And Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. All right, that's it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Peace. <laughs> Have a good week. All right. <laughs>